Welcome back to The Docket for June 22nd, 2023. I'm your co-host, Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with Eve Beatty. Hello, Eve. Hello, Sarah. So today we're talking about, well, okay, it's two guys with four-letter last names, and that's kind of the only commonality that I can find. So um, yeah, let's, let's get into Dave Toma, which... I guess I would characterize as this um, extremely 70s um, type of property that I think this was a name that a lot of people knew. I mentioned the series to my husband, who is a bit older than us. He remembered it. He remembered like when Beretta started that Beretta sort of cast back to this TV series, Toma. But Dave Toma was an undercover cop who was like apparently this amazing chameleon shapeshifter who closed a lot of cases in Newark, New Jersey, Essex County, represent. Um, they made a TV show out of his life starring Tony Musanti and um, Lee Strasberg's daughter, Susan, as Mrs. Dave Toma. Um, and then he uh, lost a child. He started got addicted to prescription pills, I think, among other things. And then he started this like school tour telling kids to stay off drugs and explaining why they should do that. And um, then he completely disappeared from the cultural consciousness. I like, I literally cannot remember how I heard of this guy, but I tracked down an episode of the show on YouTube bless the um, amateur archivists of the internet and we watched it uh and then we spent a lot of time on slack talking about his multiple books and their crazy cover fonts had you ever heard of this guy or this show or anything about this before i brought it up i didn't think that i had um when you brought it up on slack and then i was like you know what's up with this guy and all this but then when I turned on the show, like, you know how in Limitless, the whole thing is like, it's not like Bradley Cooper, like, magically gained knowledge. It was like a different part of his brain opened up or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm, now, now, this is not a Limitless podcast. But I feel <laughs> like that's what happened when I clicked it. Now, as Sarah knows, and maybe some of our uh, readers and listeners know, I lived in South Orange, New Jersey when I was a kid. South Orange is sort of adjacent to Newark. Um, It's a college town, essentially. Uh, It's where Seton Hall is. My dad taught at Seton Hall University. Go Pirates. But but yeah, but so, yeah, well, yeah. But so, like, Newark is very different. It's sort of like people who live in Highland Park saying that they're from Chicago. So I certainly have no claim to Newark at all, but it's not an area that's unfamiliar to me. So I don't know if it's that experience or what, but when I turn the show on, I recognize the theme song. Granted, very standard sort of score. Uh And I knew the beats that were coming. So I feel, once again, it's a very tropey show, but it felt extremely familiar and comfortable to me in a way that suggests not, just that it, you know, because of Stephen J. Cannell, that it's, uh, you know, very right. standard. But I feel like this is a show I might have seen before. Yeah, I think the lead's um, resemblance to, uh, what's his face, David Burney, yeah. I'm going to say. Like, he just had that, like, sort of interchangeably 70s, um, deep side part, big 
sideburns, um, you know, wearing a lot of double knit and being kind of not that tall. And there were like 10 or 12 of those dudes and they were all on procedurals. And, you know, Robert Blake, shorter and with slightly better bona fides than, than some, but that's what this is what Beretta basically ended up being. They were just like, well, he doesn't have to be undercover. And now there's a bird. Ah, okay. Um, and you know, Robert Blake is a whole other, whole other episode and a half. But I mean, this was, this was fine. But what I didn't realize when I was watching it until, you know, it got to the end and there's the title card that's dedicating it to the memory of, actual David Toma Jr. We were reading this People magazine piece that was about his speaking engagements, his like anti-drug speaking engagements at schools. And he's saying to the crowd, but also to this reporter that um, he, he um, got addicted to drugs after the death of his young son and the story, we'll link it in the show notes. And if any of you can sort of clarify for us exactly what the fuck happened here versus in the episode, like he was demonstrating to his five-year-old son the way he had saved a three-year-old boy who was choking. And then his son started choking and his son died. And there's something missing here. Like, was the sun eating? Did the sun choke on your thumb? Did you have some kind of allergen on your hands when you were demonstrating how you saved the other kid? I don't get it. It was the 70s, Sarah. No one had allergies back then. I, get, I mean, but this is like the first place that my mind went. That it was like, did you dip your thumb in bees? Also, why were you physically putting your hands in his mouth? Like, that's so weird. I don't know. Um, but I did not realize when I suggested, like, let's just watch an episode. You can, like, craft or pay bills in front of it if it stinks. I did not realize that it was going to be about that story that we had read in People magazine. So it was it was very bizarre. And then all of a sudden, fucking Tubbs from Miami Vice is on the screen. Oh, I was happy to see him. No, I me was too. happy he to was see hot as Michael hell. Thomas. Mm. Yeah, good for him. I pulled up the episode guide on IMDb to make sure that, you know, it really was him and not just someone who resembled him strongly. Um, but and that's, you know, where I saw like the Lee Strasberg daughter stuff, too. But <laughs> like, I mean, the whole I think we have to just this show's incredibly racist. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I mean, yes. it's like I I had thought about watching this. I on the plane i was on a plane a couple of days ago and i thought about watching it and i sort of was just like well just in case i probably shouldn't and i am so glad that i was watching it in my own home where no one would think that i agreed with any of the accents um the lead character used there's also a um a speech impediment that Mm -hmm. is characterized and i mean just everything Oh, my God. Everything in terms of, like, race, disability, infertility, and then this completely, oh, my God. It's like the end of Face Off, I just realized. 
Yeah. Hey, hey, honey, let's just keep this. I mean, oh my, it's about. Not that I'm going to try. It sounds like I'm trying to talk everybody out of it. Really, I thought it was going to be really boring, and it wasn't. I was engaged the whole time because it's about some sort of illegal baby sale ring. And it's not that babies are being abducted. It's that women are just getting pregnant because now, you, you know, like, that's what you can do. And there's a strong, like, sort of anti abortion and anti-contraception theme it's it was really weird well and like at some point someone is complaining that like it's a lot harder to find like a a healthy white baby because of the pill and um unwed mothers raising the children anyway yeah but like it's so interesting, like in some ways, the early to mid 70s, like I would say, like until sort of, I don't know, not, like the bicentennial, that in some ways, the early to mid 70s were still really um, olden times compared to the late 70s. Like once disco comes in, then you have this sort of like cynical nihilism in society. Um but that like that there's still a foundling hospital or that mm-hmm. this character is having it explained to her that like babies that just are abandoned, like just get slotted into foundling homes by religion so that people of various religions will have babies to choose from. And Mrs. Detective Toma is like, but that's so dumb because it's a baby. And how can you tell it's Jewish? And the nurse is like, it's just like, it's just who comes in when, and then we send some to the Catholics and some to the Jews. And it's like, what are you? It was just like a very sort of like late fifties. Cause that's all you have in New Jersey. Catholics and Jews. Yeah. Like, okay. I, I mean, it was very, it was very weird. Um, and it just felt like everything looks 70s the styling is 70s but the way that they talk about things is like you're watching an episode of Naked City from like 20 years before that so there are some aspects of 70s culture where shit from the 60s was still hanging on from a really long time for a really long time and not like 1967 either like 1961 and the way that people thought about adoption and the way that people thought about unwed motherhood like oh, we're still we're still doing this well the uh, thing that i think about too is that toma supposedly was deeply involved in this show um you know the reason that this show came about is because he uh got hooked up with the mike douglas show this talk mm-hmm. show at the time and all of this so he was definitely sort of like um like it really embedded with this show. So I don't think it is unfair to uh, say that this show in many ways is a reflection of how this cop who I think sort of started his career in, in, okay, he started his career in the late fifties. He'd been a cop for five years in 61, but so how sort of like that, you know, pre, to post civil rights movement cop, like how they thought, how they approached things. I guess it's not fair to say that like one guy, like 
is everybody, but I still think it's pretty fair to say that this is how, if, if Dave Toma had objected to how this show did stuff, he probably would have said something based on what we see with these inter- interviews with him. So this is like a fair reflection of sort of his stances on stuff and his beliefs that, uh, you know, black people are basically an Amos and Andy character. Or that there's, I mean, what sort of struck me was that it was this sort of copagandist slash white savior Mm. situation or male savior or um, abled savior or whatever. But you see a lot of this in like after school specials of that time um, feature um, like very special episodes about um, cognitively delayed people that... um, the people who reach out and try to help are the center of the story. And because that's who's, that's who's writing these things Yeah, at the time. And, um, you know, like any given episode of like good times provided Norman Lear was like still heading up that writing team, like, you know, similar problem that, uh, well-meaning condescension is still condescension but in cop shows of that era you have a whole lot of like um i'm the you know i'm the groovy youth pastor let's rap (laughs) (laughs) like guy but a cop and you're supposed to think like oh this is the answer this is this will you know let us take hands across the generation gap and it's like well i guess if you're some fucking white bonehead like there's this one woman who she's a college student and her professor slash pastor or priest like rats her out for being pregnant for the second time in like a year and tells toma like all right well you know i'll bring her in and i'll have a talk with her and it's like (sighs) well i hope you'll have a talk with her about birth control because (laughs) she she needs it like she's there needs to be a remedial course on uh barrier methods i think because um this girl is very unhappy in her life and um i don't think it's unrelated but there's uh, there's just really a lot of that like the you know the show is named after him so how much can you expect that it won't be like that and also it's this aired in january of 1974 like this is the cop show that you got at that time was like you know co-optation of black american vernacular english in a way that is i mean like corny and then he's imitating the speech and like find another way to make it clear that he's going undercover as this guy please any other way you had so many other ways to do this and then, like, stunt infants being hurled around on a city bus. It's actual I mean, laugh aloud. Yeah. Like. Yeah. <laughs> now, on the plus side, he and his wife take public transit. They were not uh-huh. people who were just two people in a car adding to congestion on the Newark streets. So good for them with that. On their well, anniversary, no less. Yeah. I, I will tell you. If I'm going somewhere on my anniversary, I'm not taking the fucking bus. And I'm a transit first kind of person. 
Well, look, if I'm going somewhere on my anniversary, which is in a few weeks, and I'm taking the bus, I got to leave now. So we should uh, <laughs> wrap up this segment. But we'll have a bunch of links in the show notes to these People Magazine stories. The author of this People Mag story um, also wrote a book about the or um, an article about the Lisa Steinberg case for for People Magazine. And um, so you do tend to find when you look in their archives, which are really great, yeah. actually, that um, sometimes there's more than one crime story that a, that an author has tackled for people. And it's always an interesting juxtaposition. So we'll link all of that in the show notes. If you have any memories of Toma or Beretta, or you've read Toma's books, or you have thoughts on mid-70s fonts, we are here for it. 919-75-CRIME. Okay, so um, here's another docu-series that we might um, be passing back and forth like a hot potato or, you know, a baby on a city bus. <laughs> uh, there's an Ed Gein docu-series headed to MGM Plus, LOL, in September. Um, I am frankly resentful that I'm going to have to get MGM plus because they keep adding this shit that I am sort of interested in, but Ed Gein is not on my list. Do you have any interest in this one? Or do you think we know everything that we. Is MGM plus. That's one of the Amazon ones. I sound a hundred years old. I'm sorry. I don't know. I mean, if you could get a free trial for it through Amazon, then I would consider it. And then just like binge a bunch of stuff over. I bet you can, because it says yeah. it's Amazon and MGM Studios distribution here on the press release. Mm, so, okay. oh, no, it's getting more difficult. Okay, well, so the first question I have is, so here's the whole title, and we could probably do an episode on just the various sort of tropey things that are happening in the title. Mm-hmm. Psycho, colon, The Lost Tapes of Ed Gein. A, maybe we need to just stop with the colon stuff. Yeah. And B... Really. The psycho thing, like, I feel like they're treading into some AP areas that maybe they shouldn't. Uh-huh. And, um, was that B? C, how many fucking lost tapes out there? I'm so tired of lost tapes. Ah! I mean, if it, well, it's not really lost anymore, but people just keep losing tapes and then finding them 20 years later. I'm over it. But, so that's supposedly the market differentiator is it's lost tapes? Like, how lost were they? I mean, are these actually tapes of him or are they tapes of someone remembering interviewing him or remembering him being like, I also was at the police station at the same time. Here is my audio reminiscence. Well, that's exactly it, right? Like the press release says brand new revelations revealed in the recordings, but I'm unclear what these are. Other than new reveals and never before heard recordings, like there are no new reveals, guys. No, there are no new reveals because, as we all know, because we've written about it here and talked about it elsewhere, even like Werner Herzog, even like Joe Berlinger have flirted with Gein and walked away because they haven't been able to find revelations. And I mean, I think, well, whatever, like Werner Herzog, I get it, he seems like a guy who's like, there's nothing new here for me imagine the accent right. but there are so many people who've tried to tackle Gein and realize that it would be like as Raymond Chandler once put it turning over dry bones um and 
so this is this is just bullshit, guys. Well, I mean, we've we've spoken a number of times about things that do and don't sell. Yeah. At Exhibit B, and uh, this is a, I mean, this is for sure a case that sells. Um, Harold Schechter, one of the deans of um, late twentieth century true crime, and he has actually several books out in the last five years. He is a professor at Queens College, um, I think. He wrote a book called, I think it's Depraved. They're all named things like Depraved or Deranged or Dissolute, and they're all about different cases. Anyway, the Gein one has Gein on the front and a purple spine, which is a choice. And that comes in. I listed an inventory and it goes right out, usually before we even have time to photograph it. And that so, one, is that one of the ones where there's the photos in the middle, the little glossy photos? Yeah, but it's always the same photos that you've seen before. And like, yeah. there's, I mean, there's also like a whole episode in the number of times that it's actually a shocking photo. Like, it's always the outside of someone's house. Like, that's, oh, dormer windows. Good thing I was sitting down. Like, guys, just say there's photos. Don't say they're shocking. They never are. Except... When they are, and I make a point in my write-ups for the shop of being like, yeah, actually, these are kind of off-putting, even for me, so caveat lector, but that one, uh, so to speak, but that one, like, that topic sells. Dahmer sells. Manson sells. James Baldwin sells. Sarah Weinman sells. Elon Green sells. Fucking explain it to me. I mean, here's the thing about this business, which I still quite don't understand, don't quite understand is that there's like good writing that comes at things from a sort of like meta level. (laughs) And then there's fascination with cannibalism. And then there's Manson, which I I don't think I quite understand why that's a bone that is still stuck in the throat. Poor phrasing. I apologize. Um, but yeah, like it, Gein and, uh, Dahmer, that's a pretty straightforward, like you can lament it all you want, but people are fascinated by that outre, like vampiric, monstrous, literally ghoulish behavior. They want to try to understand it. See, I think that Gein is just such a, um, an arguable disappointment when you, Yes. So this is a guy who is the center of, and I, you know, I said this, you know, in our doc, he's the center of, in my opinion, like three of like the most iconic horror franchises of all time, right? Mm-hmm. Gein is supposedly the inspiration, you know, behind Leatherface and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh-huh. behind Norman Bates, mm-hmm. and behind um, Jamie Gum in yep. Silence of the Lambs. All right. Those are like, I'd say three pretty significant biggies. Fuck yeah. But, but none of those guys is really anything like the real Ed Gein, who, as I once again wrote in our doc, only, and I put only in air quotes just to be clear, but only killed two people, as far as anyone knows. It's the grave robbing and the trying to crawl into his mom's dead body that, you know, I think people get stuck on, but I think... I think that if we just, like, you know, walked down the street and said, oh, are you interested in true crime? Yes. Um, How many people did Ed Gein kill? They would not say two. No. 
I think people believe that he is a serial killer slash mass murderer, um, you know, along the lines of a Dahmer, uh, you know, one of these people where, you know, it's at least, you know, the tens, the hundreds, something like that, when in actuality, he was mainly just gross. Yeah. And um, unwell. I mean, yeah. I, I think had a traumatic brain injury of some sort, like there was some um, I think neurological <laughs> problem, honestly. Um, and once he finally did really kill someone, he was caught like the next day, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it, he wasn't a, you know, he was no Gacy in terms of, you know, well, not that Gacy really tried that hard to cover it up either, I suppose. But yeah, there there was not a lot of guile there. I think you're right. Like, this is a person who... It's like weird to sort of be like, I want to have some compassion for the mentally ill and the unwell, but this is a person who missed his mother so much he tried to get back in her body. And there's something about that to me that is, yeah, it's gross, it's fucked up, but it's also, there's something so crushingly sad about that that it yeah. doesn't feel fun or funny. No, no violent crime does, but there's something about that that is just so horrible and so sad. And I maybe that is one of the reasons that... Robert Block was so interested in him for Psycho because I think that we can agree that, you know, the first Psycho, you do feel that sympathy at points for Norman Bates. And even for, like, you know, Jamie Gum, who's a monster, but there is that moment in the film version of Silence of the Lambs, at least, where you you feel his pain, too. And so maybe that... Maybe if I'm thinking sort of like, you know, best case scenario, that is the element of the case that has attracted some of these horror fiction creators. But I don't think that that is the element of the case that is attracting the, uh, you know, the true crime drive buyer. No, I don't think so either. And I think, you know, this is a hashtag major case for yeah. a reason. Um, I think that there is an um, arguable through line of not adapting but sort of uh, in the in the fictional space um adapting the this um uh this paraphilia i guess yeah um this radical paraphilia and recoding it for the queer experience um that is like i understand the instinct but i it's not a one-to-one -one analog, and sometimes that really doesn't work out. See the Dahmer project from Ryan Murphy, that I think there was, like, a little bit of defensiveness, sure. you know, on the creative side about that. And it's like, okay, well, but, you know, this is... Well, and in, as I recall in the Thomas Harris, like, the novel Silence of the Lambs, it there's a beyond ham-handed sort of... Um, handling of uh gender dysphoria and trans identity which um i get ham-handed is i i want to take that but I'm, I'm not taking it back like please edit it out but i want to say it's not just ham-handed it's it's downright offensive i think that harris was working with the information he had at that point so i'm not i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna beat him up too much for what he was working with at the time but when you go back and look at that book now and how they handle that character's sort of like attempt 
attempt to come into themselves as the gender that they believe that they are, it's not done well. It is not done well. It is not acceptable by um, the standards uh, of the knowledge that we have today. But it does all go back to this sort of thing, like, who should be telling these stories um, within, you know, in adding that facet of queer identity? And Ryan Murphy seems like someone who should be able to do it well, but I do feel like it becomes sort of like, it, it gets a little mansplainy. It becomes uh, American Horror Story um, NYC. And yeah, I don't well, think we just, need that either. I don't. I only yeah. watched the first episode. It was so boring. Um, I mean, yeah, like the conflation of sort of, you know, queer repression and like trying to mediate serial killing. Like you yeah. can't, I think you do have to split those off. Like I'm just some cishet lady. So what do I know? But I think that like either your like centering Gein, who is in the end, like not that uh, instructive. Like what, what are we going to learn from this? Um, I think we already know from the wealth of true crime properties already extant that a Wisconsin winter does shit to people apparently because a lot of major cases coming out of the other mitten. That's all I'm going to say. But like, I just don't, I don't know what it's for, except that the pitch was accepted. Do you know what I mean? That it's like, just because someone would like thinks they can find a place for it on streaming doesn't mean it should be made. And I, ugh, I don't know, but of well, course, it's I, listen. I think that we are going to have to brace for a lot more sort of cobbled together properties like this one um, as the writers' strike continues. And I'm on the side of the writers here. I'm a proud member of the WGAE over here, and strike as long as you need to get a good contract, go for it. But what that means is that we are going to see a lot more of these sort of pre-masticated, held together by duct tape and chewing gum sort of shows, I think. And so that's worth it to me if that means that people get paid a living wage. But I think that you and I and our readers are going to have to sort of settle in for a long Wisconsin winter of content um, if this keeps up the way it is. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And uh, there's been more than a couple of things that I settled in to watch just to see if there wasn't something there, only to realize that someone had basically um, run previously existing properties through a sifter for a certain kind of subject and then reassembled Mm -hmm. what was left in the bowl. And it's like, we're going to see a lot of that too, especially on um, NBC slash Comcast universe properties, I suspect. So um, let's all just be aware that this is, you know, this is what uh, these companies will do to avoid paying their writers Um, on whose side we are both. And by let's all be aware that is something that also, you know, I think we should ask readers to remind us if we say, hey, here's a new thing. And they're like, no, you know, and a reader who is familiar with the the content or whatever is like, no, we think this is actually upcycled this and this. Yeah, that's something that we are always eager to have you point out in the comments, as well as share your opinions on the properties and topics that we discuss. Um, 
I, you know, I feel like on Best Evidence, we're so lucky that we have one of the only good comment sections left on the internet. And um, <laughs> that true. is thanks to all of our readers, um, paid subscribers, and those who read us uh, for free. That's it's so true. And we do want to hear from you, especially if it's like, oh, that that's just snapped and they used a different font. Yeah. And called it something else. So, um, yep. yep. Comment section. We're on email, editorial at bestevidence.fyi. And of course, 919-75-CRIME. And speaking of made-up stories, <laughs> next time we will be talking about fabulism in true crime and whether fabulism is true crime, uh, more accusations about podcasts just reading off other people's reported out shit and then not even linking to it, but using it to sell merch. And no, we're not talking about Ashley Flowers, but we might be... And then there's the fact that the godfather of this whole genre never recorded anything or took notes on site. Hmm. So we're going to be talking about that and the ethics of relying so heavily on In Cold Blood as a, uh, you know, keystone of this genre, among other things. If you have other things that we should add to the list, I just grabbed Jason Blair's memoir off the little library shelf. So we hope we will hear from you and we'll talk to you next week.